Today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is one of the, the Christmas story texts. And so typically, um, a lot of times we look at Luke, and the story in Luke is the story mostly from Mary's perspective, but the story in Matthew that we see is mainly from Joseph's perspective. It's his part in this story. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, and this is Joseph, the father of Jesus, this is his part in the story of Christ. And, and what I want us to understand today, sometimes I think we read through Scripture and we see these biblical Joseph and Mary. I mean, we have the nativity. We don't have them up here. But, but you see nativities around Christmas time and you think Joseph and Mary and the wise men and these biblical characters. We think of these heroes of the Bible and we think of them as almost like mythological creatures or people. I want you to understand something today. That's not the case. These were people just like you and I. These are people just like you and I that found themselves in what God was doing and became a part of it. And so today we're going to look at Joseph's story, but really what I want us to understand is that Christmas isn't about looking at a nativity and singing some nice songs and getting warm fuzzies inside. Christmas is about understanding what God is doing in the world around us and understanding that we are a part of that. And so, so we're going to look at the account in Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew chapter 1, if you, if you look at it, it starts with something really fun. It starts with a genealogy. How many of you love genealogies or family trees? <laughs> okay, I'm not going to call you names because that wouldn't be nice. But, but, but gene, it starts with genealogy. So-and-so was the son of so-and-so, was the son of so-and-so, was the son of so-and-so. And sometimes when you're reading scripture, that, that can be kind of maybe uninteresting stuff to read. But, but Matthew, the, the account that Matthew has starts with this genealogy. And, and this is really important to the story of Jesus, and I want you to see why. Um, Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, so it goes through all of these so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, and it gets to Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, and it says this, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. There were 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and there were 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now listen, I have studied the genealogy part of this. I'm, it's not even my text for this week, but I studied it a lot this week. And there's a ton that we could talk about, about the genealogy here. But I want us to understand one thing today about this genealogy. Do you know what this tells us? This tells us that the story we're looking at today, this story of Jesus coming and Joseph and Mary, it's not some coincidence it's not some random story that happened. This was a part of something that had been going on for 42 generations. This is a part of something that's much bigger than just this smaller moment. This is a part of God's work in the world since the beginning of time. And so Christmas, each year we come together, we read stories, we sing songs, we, we remember but I want us to understand that this exists within a much bigger story. Christmas is really a part of the whole story of God's work in this world and in our lives. And so 42 generations in the making, this is the 42nd generation 
the Messiah comes. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? I mean, these are just names on a paper, but what this tells me is that God has been working to fulfill his promises to bring about the Messiah for a long time. And so let's jump into Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, so we have the, the genealogy, we have God's work through time, and then all of a sudden we come to this story, and there's, there's one thing. So God has been at work for a long time, and I told you this story is no coincidence, it's not random, but there is a theme in this scripture that we can't miss. I want you to see this again. Verse 18 says, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 22 says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Verse 25 said that they did not consummate the marriage until after she gave birth to the son. Are you getting the picture here? This is not about what they're doing. This is about what God is doing. This is, this is no natural event. This is God's work through the Holy Spirit. This, this is a cool story. This is something unlike what we see every day. This is a miraculous act of God to bring the Savior to earth. This is God's handiwork. It's not the result of a human plan. It's not the result of, of human actions. This is the result of God working. And so, so this, is, this part focuses on Joseph's part in the story. And, and so let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. What did Joseph do to get to be the father of the Messiah? Think about that in your head for a minute. If you want to talk to someone, you can. I don't care. Go for it. But what did Joseph do to get to be a part, to get to be the father of the Messiah? The answer is pretty simple. Nothing. Nothing. He simply came from this lineage, and at this point, it was God's plan to bring Jesus into the world through Joseph. He didn't earn it. He didn't choose it. He didn't find God. He didn't make it happen. This was God's work 
that Joseph found himself in the middle of. And so I, I want to say, I, I want us to understand our place and what this means to us. So the first thing we see in this story, and this is really important, is this. We do not find God. We do not find God. We are invited into what God is already doing. See, a lot of times I think we view our, our faith and our salvation as us finding it. Well, I did this, and I did this, and I found God. I learned about it, and I took the steps. I want you to understand something today. God has been at work since the beginning of time. God is at work in your life, whether you know it or not. And when you get called into the story of God, it has nothing to do with you finding God. It has everything to do with God inviting you in to what God is already doing. And so we don't find God. We just become aware of God's work when God invites us into it. Man, we step into this story, we become aware that God is at work, has been at work. Joseph's part in the story is, is not the result of anything he's done. It's the result of generation after generation of God's plan unfolding. He didn't do anything to earn it. So, so we talked about these mythological, biblical heroes. If Joseph is a hero of the Bible, if we, we put him in our nativity every year, it would stand to reason that if God's heroes don't earn their place, then guess what? We don't either. We become aware of what God is doing in the world around us, and we are invited by God into it. It's super important for us to understand. Sometimes we think our faith is all about me and what I can do. I want you to understand that, that God is at work all around you, and God's grace and God's love is at work before you ever are even aware of it. God is working. This is good news. We're not chosen on merit. We're not chosen based on interviewing better than each other. We are chosen because God loves us and God chooses to involve us in his work. And so Christmas reminds us of the Savior being born, but Christmas also calls us into understanding that there's something bigger than us going on here. And so I want you to understand something today. This story, Mary and Joseph, Jesus, the 42 generations, all of that on through the end of Scripture, guess what? It didn't end at the end of the book of Revelation. I mean, it will one day. That's kind of a confusing statement. But it didn't end with the biblical writers. And it didn't end when Jesus died. And it didn't end when the, when the disciples were gone. And it didn't end 20 years ago when the glory days or whatever. I'm, it's still going. God is still at work unfolding his plan. And so what I, what I want us to understand today is as we look at the, the story of the nativity, as we look at the work of Jesus coming to this world, this was a part of the story. And I believe that each and every one of us is called to step into this story and be a part of it. And so, a Savior has come. Today we celebrate that the Savior has come. Today we celebrate that God is at work in our messy world. But today we understand that we have a part in that. That's pretty good news, right? I don't know if you had anything to do today. But God wants you to be a part of his work that's been going on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years you got some important stuff to do today. God is at work, and that's pretty good news, but 
Here's the crazy thing that we see in this story. Joseph did nothing to earn this. Joseph did nothing to become, uh, you know, a hero of the faith. But Joseph finds himself as the father of the Messiah, which is incredible. But here's the thing that blows my mind. And we talked about this a little bit last week. When Joseph steps into the story of God, when Joseph steps into his place, he steps into a mess. I mean, he steps... Sometimes I think that, that we have this idea that, oh, if I, just, if I just accept Christ, if I just become a person of faith, then everything's going to turn out the way it needs to, and everything's going to fall in place in my life, and it's going to be perfect. But what we see here is that when Joseph encounters God, when Joseph is called into the story, his life gets a lot more complicated and difficult. He's pledged to be married to Mary. Everything's normal. This is a normal thing. He's pledged to be married. They're, they're uh, betrothed or engaged, and, and everything is as it should be. And then all of a sudden, it says that she is found to be with child. Now, that's complicated, isn't it? We could go through all the reasons, the laws and the rules. We could go through all of that, but understand that Joseph is doing everything normal, everything's normal in his life, and all of a sudden, the, the woman he's engaged to, it was probably an arranged marriage, the woman he is an, engaged to be married to is found to be with child. Now, once again, we could go through all that, but I think it stands to reason that this is pretty complicated. He enters into this difficult space, and, and he's in a mess. And then verse 19 tells us about the character of Joseph. We, we see here that Joseph is a pretty good guy. In fact, we see that Joseph embodies a lot of the stuff that, that we should as followers of Christ. In, in verse 19, it says that, that he was faithful to the law. So he found out that his his um, his fiance, or I, they probably didn't call it that, his betrothed, was, was pregnant with child. He didn't know why. It doesn't say how he found out. We just understand that Joseph finds himself in a mess. And it says he's faithful to the law. He's a man of the law. And so in that day, if you were unfaithful to your betrothed, there were harsh penalties, there, there was the penalty that you could have to give everything back that was given for the marriage. There's the penalty that you would be an outcast. There's all these different penalties. And it says Joseph is a man that's faithful to the law, so he's not going to overlook this terrible act. He's going to do what he needs to do. He's faithful to the law. It says that he, he chooses to divorce her, which is what the law says he should do. But then it said he did not want to publicly disgrace her, so he was going to divorce her quietly. So what we see here is truth and grace. We talk about truth and grace all the time. Being a person of the law of truth, doing what you're supposed to do, but at the same time being a person of grace. And so we see Joseph torn between the law, what I need to do, and love and grace, what I want to do. And so Joseph decides to divorce her quietly, to save her as much as he can while being faithful to God's law. That's the kind of guy Joseph is. And so we, we talk a lot about these, this messy world we live in. I want you to hear something today. Joseph, when he entered into God's story, when he became the, the father of 
of the Messiah, he doesn't know it yet, he enters into a real big mess. Listen, I know some of you are in here this morning and your life is a complete mess. And, and maybe it's other, it's, maybe it's work, maybe it's other relationships, maybe it's because other people have been wreaking havoc on your life. But maybe some of you have walked in here this morning and you're following Christ and you're doing everything you're supposed to do and you find yourself in a mess that's not of your own causing. The truth is, sometimes following God can take us to a place of difficult circumstance. Sometimes following God, it's not just that the world is messy, it's not just that everyone else other than the church and God's people are messy. Sometimes following God can lead us to places that are kind of complicated and messy. John the Baptist, last week we talked about John the Baptist's story. He's in prison writing to Jesus, and he's questioning, are you the Messiah? Because I'm sitting here rotting in jail. Joseph and Mary didn't ask for this. They didn't choose this. But they're brought into God's story, and they find themselves in a really complicated place Listen, I'd love to tell you this morning, I'd love to, I don't have the hair or the teeth for it, but I'd love to tell you that God's just going to make you rich, and that if you just do the right things, you're going to have everything you need, and you'll get the right car, and you'll get the right family, and your kids will be perfect, and everything will work out. I'd love to tell you that this morning, but I can't because that's not true in Scripture. Sometimes when we follow Christ, we find ourselves in a mess. And so, so this message, if you haven't noticed yet, we start with the good news. God is at work. Here's the difficult news. Sometimes when God is at work, we find ourselves in complicated situations. We're going back to the good news. And that's this. Following Christ is always, always worth it. Following Christ is always worth it. And we're going to see why here in just a second. Let's pick it up at verse 20. So at this point, Joseph doesn't know what's going on. He's just found out that, that his betrothed is with child. He has to assume that she's been unfaithful or something's happened. He, he's probably a little bit upset. He's probably a little bit confused, but he's trying to do the right thing. So he's going to divorce her quietly. And verse 20 says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph is lost. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know why this is happening. And all of a sudden, God shows up through an angel. And this is incredible. You need to wake up and be with me here. This is incredible stuff, okay? Because number one, I want us to see the timing of the angel showing up. It's not at the beginning. It's not before the complicated mess happens so that he knows what he's getting into. It says after he's already considered this, the angel shows up. And the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So, so there's three things I think we see here. Number one, Joseph doesn't understand it, but God is with him. An angel shows up. Number two, 
God's timing is God's timing, and we don't always know when it's going to happen, but God will give us what we need when we need it. And number three, I want us to see what the angel said. The angel didn't come to Joseph and say, don't be afraid. Nobody's going to look down on you. Nobody's going to hate you. Everything's going to work out. Don't be afraid. You'll be able to provide everything that you need to provide. Don't be afraid. Everything's going to work out perfectly for you, Joseph. Is that what the angel says? No. The angel says, don't be afraid, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to name him Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. Why should Joseph not be afraid? It's not because the angel gives him the blueprint of how everything's going to work out perfectly for him, and he's going to be taken care of. The reason he shouldn't be afraid is because this is from God. This is from God. And then that last part, because he is going to save the people from their sins. See, we don't always get the full plan. We don't, the the nativity story, the story of Christmas, it wasn't that all these people knew exactly what they were getting into and exactly how all this was going to unfold. It was that they found themselves in the middle of God's work. They were called into it. They stepped into it. They were told, do not be afraid. Because this is of God. And so, understand this. If it's from God, you know it's worth the cost. There are a lot of things in life that aren't worth the cost. We we try to tell our our kids this all the time. Screaming at us because you don't want to go to bed, it's not worth the cost. Crying because you don't get a toy in the store is not worth the cost. It's going to cost you later. Anything that's from God is worth the cost. The angel didn't give Joseph the full plan. The angel wasn't a prosperity gospel angel. The angel said, this is God's work, and God is doing some great things. So why did Joseph obey? If if Joseph didn't have the guarantee that everything was going to work out perfectly, why did Joseph obey the angel and do what he was supposed to do? He's in a messed up situation. Number one, it's because God's plan is always good. There's two names that are given here in this scripture. The first is, you shall name him Jesus. God's plan is always good. Listen to how good this plan is. Name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I think sometimes, I I talked about this earlier at the beginning, I think sometimes we lose our focus in the church and, and we start to think that this is about having good services or getting more people to show up or, or just shaking each other's hands and hugging each other or celebrating or even just worshiping. But what Joseph found out from this angel was that God was up to something great and he was called into it. Listen, I want us to understand that our purpose as a church is more than just worshiping God. Our purpose is to continue the work of introducing people to our Savior, to continue to proclaim the gospel to the people around us, to continue to make sure that everybody around us knows that a Savior came to save them from their sins. See, this work wasn't about Joseph getting a new car or a better house or a lot of money. This work was about Jesus coming to save his people from their sins. 
Knowing why you're doing something is pretty important. Listen, I've talked to a lot of you about this in the last few weeks. I hate needles. I hate blood. I hate doctor's offices. And a couple weeks ago, I had to get an IV and like, I very nearly passed out. I went from like totally, I would say like totally like I am right now, but I'm kind of sweaty. I was just sitting in a chair, totally calm, and within 30 seconds, I was covered in sweat, I was seeing yellow dots, I was tossing back and forth. I mean, the most uncomfortable thing in the world. Listen, if you ask me today, hey, do you want to give blood for this, guess what I'm going to tell you? I'm going to say, I would love to, but I can't. I would love to, but I can't. See, see, I don't do needles and blood, but let me tell you something. If one of my children needed some blood, if somebody's life that I loved depended on it, I know you guys are going to say people's lives depend on it, quit it, leave me alone. <laughs> but if I know why that blood's going somewhere, you could have it all. Knowing why is so important. And the angel didn't say everything's going to work out perfect. But the angel said, here's why you should obey. It's because Jesus is coming to save people from their sins. Jesus is the Messiah, the hope of all mankind. This week, one of my kids had a class party at school. And I went to the party. And I was sitting there. And... we were, we were having a good time, and the kids are at these different stations, and I, start, I was seeing these kids do these different projects, and I couldn't help but think, are these kids going to have a good Christmas? I don't know what their home situations are like, and I started to think, you know, I hope none of the kids in this classroom are going to have a bad Christmas. I hope none of them are in situations where they're not going to get gifts, or they're not going to feel loved or supported, and I started to think about that, and And that's all fine and good. But as followers of Christ and as the church, we should be seeing the people around us every day and not thinking about whether they're going to get gifts or whether they're going to get a hug, but but thinking about whether they know the Messiah. Jesus came to save people from their sins. And we have the opportunity to be a part of God's work of salvation for the world around us. Man, we've got an important job. This is huge. So number one, we can trust and obey because God's plan is good. God's plan is always good. And number two, the other name that we see is Emmanuel. It says they will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. The second reason we can trust and obey, the second reason we can step into our place in the story is because God, the Almighty God, is with us. The story of Christmas is the story of the Almighty God becoming flesh, becoming a baby, becoming one of us as Jesus. And guess what? When Jesus ascended back to heaven, he didn't leave us by ourselves. He sent us the Holy Spirit. We have God with us. And so every year we remember the Christmas story. Every year we we think happy thoughts. We hug each other. We say Merry Christmas. We give each other gifts. But, But today I want you to understand that God has been at work since the beginning of time. God was at work for 42 generations when Jesus showed up. 
And Jesus came to save people from their sins. And and the church has been at work since Jesus launched it to continue the work of God in the world around us. And so this Christmas, this isn't just something to think about. This isn't just something to be happy about. It's not just a warm, fuzzy thing. But Christmas should remind us that we're a part of a story much bigger than our own. And Christmas is all about the salvation work, Jesus saving people from their sins. We are called into that. And so today I want to invite you to step into that story. God is already at work in your life. Maybe you don't No, God, maybe you're not following Christ, but God is at work around you and in you. And I believe God wants you to step into this story. We're going to take communion as as we close the service as our response, because I believe that the Christmas story calls us to respond and to act. And so I want to read something in Luke 22, after um, the, the time of, of communion, the, time, the Last Supper, as they call it, in Luke 22, I want you to hear this scripture. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, the kings of the Gentiles lord their power over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, came to serve and came to save others. You are those who stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred one on me. Listen to that. Today, as we get ready to prepare our hearts for communion, I want us to understand that that Jesus was, was a part of the bring of the kingdom. Jesus was the Savior for all mankind. He became flesh. He became like one of us so that people could be saved from their sins. And Jesus says, the same way I've been given this kingdom and this responsibility... I now hand it to you. And so I want to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song, and the ushers are going to, you can come on up, ushers. They're going to pass out communion to you. And I want you to hold that, and what I want you to do is this. I want you to think about this Christmas season and what it means to you. I want you to think about a Savior coming for people who would believe. And I want you to think about what that means for you to step into your place in the kingdom. Father, we love you today. Father, I thank you that that you came so that I could have life and peace and hope. And Father, I pray that as we prepare our hearts to take communion together, that you would call us to continue the work that you've been doing since the beginning of time. Call us to love others Call us to give of ourselves. Call us to be servants so that others will know that you are God and others will inherit the kingdom with us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you.